this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. I am so excited today to have a new friend with me, JJ. Welcome on. Hey, Emily. It's good to be on. I'm excited to share with your audience today. This is going to be a fun conversation. And for everybody listening, thank you for joining in. Um, as always, remember, this show is about being a hot human who is humble, open, and transparent. And we are just being unapologetically bold about things that just make us who we are, human. Sometimes we might have apologized for it in the past. So let's get into it. JJ, tell the world a little bit about you. A little bit about me. Let's see. Um, I'm from born and raised in Portland, Oregon. I live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. I've been married to my college sweetheart, Raina, for 30 years. And we have eight children, uh, three biological children and five adopted nieces and nephews. And the youngest one has moved out of the house. So we're now empty nesters. So, <laughs> but um, I'm a retired NFL football player. Now I am a professional speaker, author, health and wellness coach. And I just, I love what I do because my job is to help people achieve their goals. And that's what I'm passionate about. I love it. And I think it's so important to, especially with what have we have went through in year 2020, people are now understanding the power of health and well-being and getting and not letting yourself be controlled by your circumstances, which I think is a beautiful segue for us to go into what you're not sorry for. So the show's called Unapologetically Bold. JJ, what are you no longer apologizing for? I'm no longer apologizing for the fact that everybody thought I was the underdog. Everybody talked about me as the underdog. Everyone in so many different phases of my life, you know, I was the, the little guy, the small guy, you're too small, you don't belong, go do something like that. You know what? And the fact that they saw me as the underdog, that worked against them because <laughs> A, I worked out like I was the underdog, but I never believed at my heart I was mm -hmm. the underdog and I was able to prove a lot of people wrong. I love that. And it makes me think, too, about just the mindset that comes with that. Um, many people actually don't know this. I'm very short. I'm 4'10", so I'm T-tiny. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, it was always that thing like, well, they'll pat you on your head or they'll be like, ah, oh, you're so little. Like, And like it dismisses who we are as human beings just because of the size that we are. And even more, you went to the NFL. So talk with us more about the lessons that you learned along the way, and you call it FASCO, of dealing yeah. with the failure, the adversity, and all that comes along with it. Yeah, it's really interesting because, Emily, I'm that kid who never wanted to play in the NFL. I'm not the kid who like, oh, I'm going to be in the NFL someday. That was really never the goal, but just along my journey, as people continue to doubt me, continue to question my decisions, 
I always had this chip on my shoulder, like, okay, I'll show you. You know, I learned at a very early age that not everyone's going to understand your journey. Not everyone's going to understand the decisions that you make. And that's okay. But as long as you understand your journeys and you are committed, that is really the key. And that's what happened. And as I continue to work hard, be resilient, stay focused, these doorways just kept opening up to college. And the next, you know, I'm in the NFL. And, and I think for me, it's why I came up with that, that acronym FASCO. Failures, adversities, setbacks, challenges, and obstacles. That's been my life. <laughs> I've constantly dealt with them, but I developed a habit of learning from them and then conquering them. And that's really one of the messages I love to share with everyone because we all deal with those moments in life. But how many of us are really focused on conquering them? That's what I want to see more of. And I think that's so true in a beautiful statement in itself that you can like learn from them, but you can conquer them where they don't own you as much as they used to. They, as I always say, turn your mess into a message, you know, and allowing them to have beauty and, and to see the humanity in it. Because, and I think this is something I'd be interested for you to dive in more about how you opening up about your adversity, you opening up about it, how it has helped others, because there seems to be some, I think it's going away better. And I'm, I'm happy for this, but this masking where we have to look like, oh, we don't have any failures. Oh, we haven't screwed up. And I'm just like, you're human. Like that's life. Like that has to happen for you to learn. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I think it's it's good when people are, you know, maybe have very successful people, but it's 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 very encouraging when they share the the bumps in the roads, the wall kicking moments, you know, when things weren't going the way they wanted. Because I think that's what shows your true character and your shows mm. your true ability to be successful. Because when you can talk to someone who has been through adversity who has been through the challenges and they rose above it. There's so much you can learn from those experiences. And so I always love to share because what's that saying? Uh, you see the glory, but you don't know the story. People oh. see my highlights of the NFL and they think, oh, it was just so easy for you. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. Let me tell you my story. <laughs> but I think you're just more qualified to teach people how to conquer those moments when you've experienced them yourself. Yes. So I'd love to go in a little bit more about your story and some of the, what are some, you said wall kicking moments. What were maybe one or two of those moments that you're like, oh, why do I got to deal with this now? But now <laughs> aftermath, you're like, okay, I needed that. That was a lesson I needed in life to get to the next rung of the ladder or whatever you want to call it. Oh man, let's see. That's a, that's a loaded question because there's been a lot of them. I will go with um, my rookie year. So I get drafted in the NFL my rookie year. Now I understand I was at Oregon on a track scholarship. I was a track guy. I qualified for nationals. I qualified for the 1980 Olympic trials and a long jump. That was really the focus. I played football, but I wasn't like a great statistical football player in college. You didn't think that I would go to the NFL. But I was drafted late. So I thought, okay, Cleveland Browns drafted me. Let me go to the three-day rookie camp, see what the NFL is like come back home, finish school, get ready for nationals. Well, when I went to the Browns rookie camp, the third practice, I tore up my ACL ligament. This was my first real injury, you know, a real injury. I mean, one that's going to knock you out for a while. 
And after I went over the shock of it, I thought, okay, I can't run track, but I'm here in the Cleveland Brown training room. How do I take advantage of this opportunity? So even though it was a horrible injury, I thought it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I never thought at that point I could play in the NFL. I was like, no way I can play in the NFL. But Emily, for that year, all I had to do was rehab, study, learn, and watch. And during that year, I started believing I could play in the NFL. So all of a sudden, my mind shift switched. And that was really key to me having a nine-year career because if that injury hadn't happened, I don't know if mentally I would have been where I needed to be. That's awesome. And and the beauty in that, too, is that there's opportunity in the obstacle. And that many people get hit with things. And let's think 2020 was one where a lot of people got hit. You're a speaker. You're supposed to be traveling. You know, you're supposed to be doing the things like you're supposed to be out with people. But it, I think the beauty that is the habit of resilience. I think mm-hmm. I truly think resilience is a habit that you have to you have to face adversity. You have to face these times. And one interesting thing I also would like to explore is about the the thing of confidence um, that plays into this. At what point did you get to the aspect that you're confident knowing that it doesn't matter your size? I got this that I'm made to do this. Yeah, I went through a couple of different, um, you know, I guess you could say past to where I didn't quite have it where it needed to be. And there were different points where I had mentors. I had coaches who poured belief into me until I got my belief to where it needed to be, because I was always a little bit uncertain about this whole football thing. But once I got out there that year and I got to evaluate the talent, I got to see what was required from a mental standpoint what was required from a toughness standpoint. I already knew physically I had the ability, but what they did not know was what I was willing to do to make it. I was willing to do all those little things, those extra things, and to make sure that I stood out. So it was sometime during that first year, that second year, that I start kind of getting the confidence there. But I'll tell you when it really happened. It wasn't until my fourth year in the NFL. Because I was kind of like, you know, on the edge, one of the guys making it, not making it. But this fourth year, they put me in this one game and they said, JJ, we haven't played you a lot. We're going to play you a lot this game. Take advantage of it. That game, I don't know if you know football, but I scored eight, had eight catches, 188 yards. I scored two touchdowns of 52 yards and 54 yards. And at that moment, My confidence level was sky high. There was nothing anyone could tell me. But that was the moment they no longer saw me as the little underdog. They made me a starter in the NFL the rest of my career. So it took time. It really did. But the key was I never gave up. I never quit it. I never blamed anyone else. I didn't make any excuses. I always said, okay, baby, what can I learn from these setbacks? How can I use them to turn them into an opportunity? And when I got my opportunity, I didn't knock the door down. I bust the hinges off the door and I made that opportunity mine. And I think that's one of the powerful points that many people don't understand with successful people is that you've been training for this for a long time. And it takes a lot of patience within that. 
it takes at minimum, I always say minimum, two years of hard work to even start to see just a little ounce of something like in business. It takes about two years, even in culture work and wellness and all this. It, it takes time, but it's those small habits, those small mindsets that continue to grow. So what advice or what invitation would you give to people going forward that are hearing this on how they can look at those small habits and look at those small the small wins even on top of it to be able to to build on so you can be ready when mm-hmm. that mountaintop comes and you got to climb it like you're there and you're ready i would say whatever the goals they've established for 2021 whatever that goal is figure out what the action steps mm-hmm. you need to take to achieve that goal be very crystal clear on your game plan and then mentally understand success is an endurance race. It is not going to happen overnight. So once you kind of mentally prepare yourself for that journey, then you know that, okay, it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen overnight. How can I, like you said, get these small incremental wins from day to day, from month to month? How can I keep making these improvements every single day? Because as you mentioned, when you create the habit of these little bitty wins, all of a sudden they turn into big wins. Mm-hmm. And you don't quit. You don't throw in the towel when two months from that, from now, you have a major setback. Mm-hmm. You ask yourself, why did this happen? What can I learn from it? And how can I turn this into an opportunity? So, so I think the first part I said about realizing success is an endurance race, I think that's what's really hurt a lot of people because Sometimes people are in this entitlement mentality. I want it today. I want it tomorrow. I want it now. But you and I know that's not how it works. It does not work. And that's the thing is um, a lot of things that we talk about is how we've grown up with instant gratification. With we get everybody gets a trophy. Everybody gets a win. Every And sometimes they're meaningless wins. And from a the psychological and the physiology side, it's dopamine releases, which I literally call the rah-rah cheerleader. It's whenever you're in the game, it's like, yay, good job. You like, you hear them in the crowd. But if you're letting those dictate your life, you're not owning it. You're not taking control of it. And so, I, but I do want to emphasize though, that you talked about your mentors earlier. Having the right people around you to tell you whenever you're sucking it up. To be in a, not to give you those rah rah good job I'm a fan but they're actually there as a friend and a mentor to see you through. How much have they impacted you from going from an inner, uh, underdog to an alpha dog? Big time, big time. When I when I share with people what is the recipe of success, whatever I end up naming, having a mentor, having a coach, having accountability partners always in there. I've had them throughout my life. I still have them to this day. And because think about this, Emily, <clears throat> the greatest athletes in the world. Let's take Tom Brady, the mm-hmm. best. Okay, He has a coach. He, uh-huh. has a he has someone teaching him and instructing him and guiding him. And so the encouragement is don't ever think you're too good to ask for help. You know, mm-hmm. who can you latch on to? Who can you learn from? Who's already walked the road that you're trying to get on? But I always tell people, choose your mentor wisely. Find a good accountability partner, someone who's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, because they, if they're honest, they will definitely make you better. 
And that's the, that's the power of it for us. Um, our listeners know this, but um, works. We our model is to create a space for accountability, connection, and results. But a part of that is that accountability measure. And what I talked about, the mentor, it actually what they secrete in the body is oxytocin, which is the, we call it the loving grandmother. It's the one that 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 is there to mentor you and build you on. But I don't know about your grand your grandparents, but mine, they like, mm, Emily, you better not. Like they're gonna slap you sideways and everything just to get you on the right track. Um, we may not always agree with some of the things, but they come from the heart of understanding who we are. They've seen us since or seen me since I was in diapers, you know. And and then the growing up process, it's important to have those, I call them love nudges to say, Hey, you said you were gonna do it. Mm-hmm. You didn't. And that's what I've seen the most. That's the most frustrating thing for me. And I'd love for you to kind of like give in on this, too, because I know that you do some of the coaching, the accountability piece. Like it makes us look like we're different because we actually get results because we say, hey, you actually need to we're following up, mm-hmm. you know. But how many people just come in and give these great plans and then don't follow through or they have these great ideas? What have you seen on your your success with maybe the people that you coach or mentor about accountability and how it makes a difference? Well, it makes a tremendous difference. But I think one of the disconnects is when you're working with someone, if they don't really understand their why, their motivation, why they're doing what they're doing, then it's easy for them to quit. It's easy for them to give up. So that is like one of the first conversations I will have with someone because Mm -hmm. I want to know what's driving them. I want to know what's that deep-seated motivation that's inside their heart that's really going to get them to do what they need to do. Because when the why is strong enough, the process to get there is not a challenge. You will do whatever it takes. So it's taking that time, I I say, like peeling the onion. An onion has multiple layers. You got to keep peeling it to get to the core. That's what I do with my my team members or or my, my customers or my clients. Why do you want to do this? Why is that important? And I just keep digging. And once we get it, then I'm like, okay, you need to write that baby down. Anytime you want to quit, anytime you don't want to follow the plan, you read that because that's what will get you going. So, so I think that's important because when you do that, then they're more responsive to, to, to do what you want them to do when you want them to do it as a coach. Uh, and I think that's so important too, because it goes back into the self-awareness to understand. I always joke, because a lot of the material I actually practice on my kids because the thing is, is I want to make it understandable for many, but my goal is for them. I always say, I want them to have a skinny onion. <laughs> so whenever we peel back, it's not that we don't have to peel that back that many layers because it's already, they already know close enough with maturity. They'll be able to understand a little bit deeper. That's and cool. I just think it's beautiful how you put that too. And I read somebody the other day calling Simon Sinek a crock, whatever, but from the, the, the neuroscience of it, basically your why is next to your emotional center. It's near n- near your amygdala, which is Amy, as I call her. Like there is some science behind that. Uh-huh. It is why it sticks. It's why it triggers emotions. It's why your goal will actually be done quicker. And we know that they say 21 days to make a habit. It's actually 66 if you have it connected back with a why. And if you get to choose it, um, if you don't, it's 108 if you do it in the morning and like 156 if you do it in the afternoon. So there's some things with that that really make a difference in understanding. So to those people that called it a crock the other day, I'm still going. I love my Simon Sinek. I love the why. There is a lot of science behind it. And I'll say it's empowered the work that I do. 
So this is a random question. What was your why while you were you were playing? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And for me, what was driving me early on, because I was raised in Northeast Portland, Oregon, and, you know, we struggled growing up. We didn't have very much. And I made a decision early on that I wanted more. I wanted to leave the hood. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to create future opportunities for my family when, my, when I had my family. And I didn't want to do what everybody was doing. I wanted to break this cycle, so to speak. So yeah. that's what was driving me. You know, that really helped me in the NFL because I saw college and then the NFL as an opportunity to create this lifestyle. So when people ask me at 157 pounds, how did you hit guys that were like 260? I said, well, that was my why. <laughs> I might have not, not moved them anywhere, but I would still do my job, you know. So, but the thing about the why, as you know, is it changes. As we get older, it changes. And as I got older, the why turned more towards the children and now the children are out of the house. Now the why is about my wife and I and the time we're going to spend together and having the freedom to do the things we want to do. So I always encourage people that make sure you evaluate your why from time to time, because what was motivating you last year, last month might not be what's driving you today. I love that. And uh, this actually flows good. We literally just did a course on this on but with gratitude. You can use gratitude to find your why because it reveals your people and passions. So then then you can go to your priorities. And I think it's so important because, yes, I'm grateful for my family. But what I'm grateful for freshly each day, looking at it, evaluating it to understand, hey, this is where I need to stay task at hand. And it's mm -hmm. important. Um, gosh, I just love this. You're such an awesome human being, JJ. Um, oh, you're asking the right questions. <laughs> It's such a fun conversation. So I know we're nearing our time. So I ask this for everybody. Somebody is apologizing for being the underdog. What advice would you give them? Oh, my my advice would be probably, you know, something I said a little earlier, because you have to understand dream stillers are everywhere. There's going to be dream stealers. There's going to be doubters going to be made. They are everywhere and they're trying to steal your dream. And when they call you the underdog, that's one of the ways they do that. Remember, it's not for them to understand your choices and your journeys for you to understand it. But I challenge everybody to commit to it because let me tell you, one of the more exciting things in life is when you prove people wrong. So go prove people wrong. Ah, I love it. Love it. So, um, and, Second part of that question is, one, I heard you're an author, author, so I'd love for you to talk about your book. And two, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? So the best place to find me is jjburden.com. Um, that's the hub. And, you know, you can find out things as far as my speaking. You can connect me through, through social media there. Yeah, and I wrote my first book called When Opportunity Knocks, Eight Surefire Ways to Take Advantage. Uh, which became an Amazon bestseller. I was excited about that. But you can order from my site there. But yeah, I love to connect with people. And I just hope that um, they appreciate the value that I share all over social media because I want to just give back and help people achieve what's important to them. Uh, and I think that is so seen by your enthusiasm, your passion and your heart that's just coming through this. So I'm excited for the listeners to hear this and just Continuing on this conversation, thank you so much for joining me to JJ, uh, today, JJ. Have an amazing and blessed day, everybody. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.